Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get podcasts. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Wednesday, August 30th. The Biden administration has announced the first 10 prescription medications that will now be subject to price negotiation between the pharmaceutical companies and Medicare, right? Your private health insurance company can already do this. Now Medicare can too. I'll give you the list of drugs in a minute. And we'll put this in the larger context of healthcare policy wars from Obamacare to next year's presidential race. Here are all the references to healthcare and health insurance, all of them, in last week's Republican presidential debate. No, there's nothing wrong with your device. There's nothing wrong with our feed. A little uncomfortable to listen to that silence there, right? But the terms healthcare, health insurance, healthcare costs, and prescription drugs never came up in the debate last week. Yesterday, in President Biden's announcement of these first 10 drugs on the price negotiation list, he said this. Unless you needed the drugs yourself or knew someone who did, it wasn't as real. But boy, we've been fighting big pharma for a long time. Long, long time. President Biden yesterday. One caveat right off the bat, this could potentially still get stopped, and we'll get to that too. With us now, Jonathan Cohn, senior national reporter at HuffPost, who wrote up yesterday's announcement. He's also a lecturer at the University of Michigan's Gerald R. Ford School of Public Policy, and he's a good guest for the big picture context as author of the book, The Ten-Year War, Obamacare and the Unfinished Crusade for Universal Coverage, published in 2021. Jonathan, thanks for joining. Welcome back to WNYC. Well, thank you for having me. And since this has been a fight with Big Pharma for a long time, like the president said, what enabled this price negotiation to be announced now? Well, um, the immediate cause was enactment of the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, that big law that uh, Biden and the Democrats passed last year um, uh, that, uh, you know, it's probably best known for its climate provisions, right? This is the law that puts all this money into clean energy and electric cars. But there's a whole section of the law that deals with health care and the biggest part of it deals with prescription drug prices in Medicare, which, as you said, is something Democrats have been working on trying to do something for uh, literally for decades. This is one of their longest standing crusades. And uh, a year ago, they finally uh, with the leadership in Congress, with President Biden, they finally got something over the finish line. Will individuals on Medicare save money from this or will just the government save money for paying for medications for people signed up for the Medicare prescription drug coverage? Well, that's a really good question. The answer is both. Um, I just just to clarify as a sort of background to start, um, there are actually several provisions in the Inflation Reduction Act specifically that help Medicare beneficiaries 
with uh, with drug costs. Um, there is uh, something called an inflation rebate, which basically penalizes uh, drug companies if they raise the prices of their drugs too quickly year after year. Um, there is probably the most visible change to beneficiaries will be something that starts next year, um, which is basically a, a hard limit on how much out-of-pocket spending you can have on your drugs. You know, right now there is no limit. Uh, uh, if you, you, you know, you owe co-pays when you go to the pharmacy, you know, you pay the $5, the $10, could be 50, could be a hundred. Um, starting next year and then uh, phasing in over two years, there will be a hard limit on how much you could ever owe out of pocket, which is really huge for people with uh, serious medical conditions. They run up very large bills. So that will be the most visible part. And then there's the negotiation part, which is what we've been talking about this week, the announcement yesterday. Um, and all of these will uh, benefit beneficiaries in one way or another. All of them, most of them will also save uh, the government money. In the end, the biggest savings do actually go to the Medicare system. Um, there's really a, a substantial uh, savings, uh, more than two hundred billion dollars over ten years, which is a, which is a big you know chunk of money according to the Congressional uh, Budget Office. Um, but of course, you know, saving money for Medicare means sustaining the program for longer, and also it filters down. To beneficiaries in the sense that you know uh, they're paying less in their premiums that because people pay premiums for Medicare on top of you know what they get from the government and then of course all of us as taxpayers will benefit because it's that much less money we have to put into Medicare to keep it going as it is. Right. So here's the list of these first ten drugs subject to price negotiation. And I'm going to read the version that was published on the health science site, Stat News, because they did a really good job of describing each one very briefly um, uh, as they list them. So Stat News says the drugs include Bristol-Meyer Squibbs Blood Thinner, Eliquist, Boringer, Engelheim, and Eli Lilly's Diabetes Drug, Jardiance, Johnson & Johnson's Blood Thinner, Zarelto, Merck's diabetes drug, Genuvia, AstraZeneca's diabetes drug, Farsiga, Novartis's heart failure treatment, Entresto, Amgen's rheumatoid arthritis drug, Enbrel, Johnson & Johnson and Advise blood cancer treatment, Imbruvica, don't know if I'm saying that right, don't know if I'm saying many of these right, uh, Johnson & Johnson's anti-inflammatory medicine, Stellara, and Novo Nordisk insulins, that go by the names Fiast and Novolog. So, wow, Jonathan, cancer drugs, heart drugs, diabetes drugs, other things. Any surprises there to you or anything notable about which 10 drugs are going first here? Yeah, well, first of all, yeah, like you said, I mean, these are very uh, common conditions. Um, overall, about 9 million seniors take at least one of these drugs. Um, you know, I'm not surprised to see, you know, when you think about the amount of spending and the cost of these drugs, the number of people with these conditions, I'm not surprised to see a bunch of heart disease, heart related blood thinner drugs on there. I'm not surprised to see diabetes treatment on there. I'm not surprised to see an autoimmune arthritis drug on there. Um, I will say two things. Number one, there were lists running around before this. Analysts were sort of guessing at what the 10 would be. They got, you know, I think they were batting about 700. Um, uh, the, the first few drugs that you listed, most people expected. Some of the others were a bit of a surprise. Mostly that was because the analysts who were predicting this were using year-old data. 
and the federal government had access to more recent uh, sales data. And then, and by law, that's what they had to use. This was all driven by a formula uh, based on sales over the last year. Um, the one that I think surprised a lot of people was that number, that last one you mentioned, which was the, the set of insulin products. Um, few people were expecting to see insulin on this list. And uh, I, I actually, I spoke yesterday to the, uh, the, the administrator from what's called the Center for Medicare and Medicaid uh, Services, uh, Chiquita brooks Lashore, And I asked her, was that intentional? Was there, did someone put the thumb on the scale to get insulin? Because of course, insulin, you know, insulin's really the poster child for like, what's wrong with drug prices in this country? Right. It's, you know, it's been- and, But also, wasn't, wasn't there a separate provision, I think also in the Inflation Reduction Act that limited- the monthly cost of insulin out of pocket for um, people specifically on Medicare? Yes, but, and you're exactly right, there is a separate provision. And that provision basically said, if you are buying uh, insulin through Medicare, you won't have to pay more than $35. But here's the key thing. Um, that was strictly a subsidy. It was strictly the government saying, we are going to cover the cost above $35. We're just going to cap what you, the individual, faces. So the, the, the law already protected beneficiaries from having to pay too much for insulin, but it only by the government saying we'll cover whatever else it charges. So the, 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 the companies that, that can and there's three that control the insulin market still basically had unlimited power to raise that cost as much as they wanted. Um, by putting this class of insulin products on the negotiation list, uh, because it's on there, now the government can actually start to negotiate down the price so that the government isn't on the hook for so much. And again, like I said before, when the government isn't paying as much for these drugs, that means the taxpayers, that means Medicare beneficiaries who pay premiums for private Medicare plans, they all save money uh, indirectly because of that. Jonathan, all politicians say they're for lower healthcare costs. Do both parties, by and large, support at least this ability of Medicare to negotiate drug prices? They do not. Um, this is a traditionally has been a big dividing line between the parties, um, in gen you know, with some exceptions. But in general, Democrats have favored giving the government negotiating power over drugs. Republicans have opposed giving the negotiating power to the government. And, you know, this lines up closely. Uh, with their philosophical worldviews. Um, Democrats in general, right, are the party that tend to think there's a place for the government to regulate business, to manage the economy so that um, more people can afford things, so that things are safer, so they're not cleaner. Um, uh, Republicans tend to be the party that look at regulation and say, wait a minute, regulation's gonna, gonna mess up the market, it's gonna uh, deter innovation, it's gonna, the government's gonna make poor decisions about what things should cost, and we'll end up with worse products, fewer products, um, the con individual consumers won't have as much choice. And which is basically, you know, these are the arguments they're now making against uh, uh, government negotiation. So is it definitely a split between the parties? Um, one that I know, uh, and you could tell yesterday watching Biden speak, the White House would like nothing more. Joe Biden and the Democrats would like nothing more than to have a fight about this in the 2024 election yeah, because they think uh, uh, this is a winning issue for them. Yeah. Well, let me key on one of those arguments against that you cited. The innovation one, because the pharmaceutical companies argue, as you know, that cutting their profits by these tens or hundreds of billions of dollars a year will mean less money for research into innovative new medical treatments, 
like for President Biden's war on cancer. Fair point there. Um, so I will say uh, I have studied this for a long time, and I'm not even the world's leading expert on this by far. I, I read other people who are real researchers into this. Um, uh, this is a complicated debate. I think there is lots of ground for reasonable disagreement among smart people. Um, you know, there's two extremes. One extreme will have you believe that anything the government does to change prices is going to destroy innovation. You know, the government gets it all involved, and the next thing you know, we're not getting the next cure for cancer for 10 years. I, I, I don't think that's true. Th there there's another side of the debate which says none of this matters. All the important research is done with the government funding and the pharmaceutical companies are greedy. They make such huge profits. This doesn't matter at all. Innovation is going to continue without, you know, there's nothing, no reason to worry about this at all. I actually don't think that's true either. I think this is a, a complex issue and there's lots of different factors. What I do think is true is that in, when you look at the Inflation Reduction Act, you look at these actual reforms that are going forward, um, it's a pretty mild form uh, for better or worse. Uh, 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 the government's getting some power, but not nearly as much as they have, say, in the governments overseas. You know, there's all kinds of limits. Uh, some drugs can't be negotiated because, you know, it's a small biotech company and they're the ones that do the most innovation. And, you know, the drug companies, none of these drugs can are subject to negotiation until they've been on the market for nine or 13 years, to, depending on the type of drug, and only if they don't have competition. Uh, and when this process all shakes out, most likely we are still going to be paying much higher prices uh, than they do in other parts of the world, for better or worse, again, mm. depending on your perspective. So, you know, the Congressional Budget Office uh, when it made its best guess, uh, it said, you know, we think there will be some effect on innovation, but at most a sort of, you know, a one, you know, we, they expect a 1% reduction in the number of drugs brought out, you know, 1%. And again, that's, it's entirely possible that because of the way the law is written and, and the way uh, the administration is going to try to implement it, there may actually be a push to sort of get better quality out of the drugs they develop. So you might have slightly fewer drugs coming offline, but the drugs are actually more likely to be medical breakthroughs. Now, I don't know for sure. Nobody knows for sure. Um, we'll have to see how this evolves. And like I said, I do think this is a very complex debate. And I think there are serious people on both sides of it. You know, and I know you teach in Michigan, so you may or may not know what's going on in New York City right now. But there's a different, but we're going to ask you if it's related, big Medicare debate going on in New York City right now having to do with um, retirees from New York City government jobs. And Mary Beth in Hoboken is calling about that. Mary Beth, you're on WNYC with Jonathan Cohn. Hi. 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 Yes, I'm one of those um, retirees that is that they're trying to push into Medicare Advantage. We do not want it. We know it's really Medi Medicare disadvantage. It's privately run, and people should understand that if they're spending zillions of dollars for TV ads, they must be getting something out of it. I wish the government would, would just try to get rid of this idea altogether. We don't need Medicare Advantage. But Traditional Medicare is perfect. Mary Beth, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, New York City and some of the municipal unions are trying to shift the city government, public employee retirees onto Medicare Advantage plans from traditional Medicare. Let me take one more on this because I think Kitty in Manhattan is going to make one more specific point before we get your response, Jonathan. Kitty, you're on WNYC. Hi. 
Hi, Brian. Yes, it's, it follows from that. If, if half of the people have been transferred to privatized care, how might that impact the government's ability to negotiate prices? Boom. Jonathan, what do you say? Oh, good question as well. So I, I don't know the New York situation specifically. I do know about Medicare Advantage. Um, uh, the, uh, there's been very quietly, you know, the Medicare Advantage is the private, for your listeners, is the uh, private version of Medicare that you can opt into as a choice. It's been around in some form really since the 1990s. Very quietly has grown enormously. Actually, we're at the point now, I can't remember if we passed it or not, where actually a majority of people on Medicare are going to be in Medicare Advantage plans. Um, you know, people who like them say, hey, they're private sector, they're innovative, they offer all these cool, they are able to offer all these cool extra benefits like, you know, gym club memberships or, 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 or vision that you can't necessarily get through traditional Medicare, even if you pay for or, or if you depend, you know, if you pay for a supplemental plan, you still can't get it. Um, critics say, well, the only reason that these plans offer extra things is because they're actually getting extra money from the government they don't deserve. And by the way, there's lots of data coming out to suggest that like private insurance that we're all familiar with for working age Americans, they're more likely to deny care. They have limited markets. And then there's a lot of uh, skepticism about what's really going on behind the scenes where these profits are going. Um, so I understand the wariness. Uh, if, you're, you, if, you, if you've been on traditional Medicare, being shifted into Medicare Advantage, I, I, I can understand that. Um, Medicare Advantage plans will be able to take advantage of these drug uh, prices that are negotiated. So um, in that sense, uh, uh, I mean, the Medicare, all Medicare, the entire Medicare drug benefit today is private. Um, the, the, the program uh, came into existence during the Bush administration. Uh, they were the ones who wrote it. And the, one of their stipulations, you know, along with the Republicans who ran Congress back then, and one of their stipulations was if we're going to create a drug benefit for Medicare, it's going to have to be through the private sector. And it's been that way ever since. Um, uh, so, in fact, they were the ones when they wrote it, they actually wrote a clause into the law that said, by the way, we're creating this Medicare drug benefit. It's going to be run by private insurance and they cannot. We're not going to let the government negotiate the price of, uh, uh, of drugs. So one of the things the Inflation Reduction Act was to actually strip that to say, hey, no, we're getting rid of that prohibition. And that's part of why now we're getting negotiation going forward. So Medicare, uh, private Medicare plans will be able to see benefits from the reduced drug prices as to whether you should go into, you know, whether it's a good idea to put New York, uh, New Yorkers into private Medicare Advantage plans versus Medicare. Well, that's, you know, that depends on what you think of Medicare Advantage. A couple of texts coming in that are interesting. Uh, let's see. Listen to rights. I'm on both Eloquist and Entresto. Those were two of the drugs on the list. And after the deductible period, I pay about $110 a month for each in co-pays. Eloquist has been on the market for 10 years, and the patents were due to expire in February this year, but they were granted an extension to make up for the time period following the patent during which they were gaining FDA approval. If this decision were reversed, their $600 a month drug would cost about $12 from a generic manufacturer. So, Jonathan, that listener, I can't tell if they're on Medicare or not, but it obviously raises the issue of in the patent period versus once uh, generic versions can be released, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and again, you know, that's part of the way uh, this new negotiating power is designed. Um, if you have, you, you can't end up on the list unless 
you have an, unless you're exclusive. Uh, that that's one of the conditions. One of the conditions, you know, if you ha if there's competition out there for your drug already, then the government's not going to bother negotiating the price because you already got market competition. It's only if you face competition, and then again, only if you only after you the the, the companies uh, still have several years to sell their drugs exclusively. But now there's a sort of there's a there's an endpoint on that. It's it's nine years for what's called a, a small molecule drug, which is a something synthesized from a chemical process. It's thirteen years for a biologic, which is something that's manufactured using you know biological uh, 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 products. And you know and and you can argue you just if you're sort of thinking about sort of why are we doing this? Why why would you justify giving the government this power? Well, part of the reason is that there is a uh, a sense uh, and a lot of evidence to back up the idea that companies have really not only are they sort of taking advantage of the of the patent period, but they've learned to exploit it. Um, they uh, game the system constantly. They come up with ways to extend their patents. They come up with ways to uh, keep other competitors from getting into the market. And, you know, there have been attempts over the years to clamp down on that, and there will be more, I'm sure. But the reality is those companies are pretty clever. They know what they're doing. They know how to get around. They know their way around the law. Um, so one of the justifications you could argue for negotiation is to say, look, at the end of the day, we, we want the companies to be able to sell their drugs exclusively for a while. We want them to get back their investment. But we're going to put a limit on that. And when you've had the market for so many years to yourself, at that point, if you still have it to yourself, we and you're still and you're running up and the Medicare is spending tons of money on your drug. Then we're going to come in like any other purchaser would and say, hey, we're going to negotiate with you. We're going to say, look, your price is too high. Let's get this price down somehow. Now, I noted earlier how the topic of health care costs didn't even come up in any way in last week's Republican presidential debate. So do you see the two parties staking out specific positions by the general election campaign season next fall? And then we're out of time. Um, uh, uh, Democrats, uh, I think that depends on how uh, what questions get asked of the Republicans. Democrats will absolutely stake out their positions. They will make it very clear that they were the ones who brought you this drug uh, price negotiation. They will point out the fact that no Republicans voted for it, that many Republicans have said they want to roll it back. Uh, Republicans don't want to talk about this for the same reason they don't want to talk about Obamacare. The public is on the side of the Democrats. So I think a really big question is, you know, in these debates we're seeing in the Republican primaries and the general election, when reporters ask these Republican presidential candidates, congressional candidates, I, if I, I certainly plan to and any reporter who's asked, you know, uh, interviewing a Republican, ask them what they think. Do they support these reforms? Do they support giving the government uh, power to negotiate prices? And actually, I think the answers will be interesting because I think there are some Republicans out there who may give surprising answers. Uh, believe it or not, Donald Trump at various times has said things critical of the pharmaceutical industry. So I think uh, this is an important question to ask uh, and uh, potentially an interesting one. Jonathan Cohn, senior national reporter at HuffPost and author of The Ten-Year War, Obamacare and the Unfinished Crusade for Universal Coverage. Jonathan, thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.